Well, good morning. And uh, can I use the privilege of being on the platform to wish you all a very happy and God-filled new year. Uh, If you're listening to this on the podcast, my title for today is The Power is Present, but we have to flick on the switch. It hasn't quite worked on your screen, but never mind. (laughs) The Power is Present, but we have to flick on the switch. And again, I'm holding a waistcoat, a satin waistcoat. This is if you're not here today. And it has a kind of a mottled, flowery, pink and green woven pattern on the front, which I'm just going to pop up here as a prop. Okay, I think you have the picture. Now, as many of you know, I, was, um, I went to Youth for the Mission as opposed to OM. It was very timely. Uh, as a young adult, I was a bit older than Will. I'd been working for a few years in investment banking in Guernsey in my early 20s. I sensed God uh, calling me away to kind of assess my life, a bit like Will's doing. Where do you want me? And so for a few months, I, I saved, saved my money. For a few months, I went traveling through a number of countries, Resigned, having resigned my job in Guernsey and ended up in New Zealand, did a bit of touring and then joined Youth with a Mission out there for a period of four months training where you'd get a different speaker every week, uh, a Bible teacher training you, discipling, opening us up to ministry and to God's power and then ended up with two-month mission to India. Now, during that time of traveling and those first few months at Youth of the Mission, I I prayed about a lot of things, particularly when they lost my luggage in Thailand for a week. Uh, But the one thing that was really key on my heart was, Lord, what do you want for my life? I was a young 20-something. Do you want, a bit like Will was saying, do you want me more out here, overseas mission? This was my big question. Is this, this your calling for me? Is this why you've brought me to YWAM? Or do you want me, after this course and this mission, to go home, to settle back into family life, to uh, immerse myself in the local church and pick up my career in an investment bank? And I I was just on my knees, what do you want? I was desperate to hear, what was it after YWAM? Anyway, one of our Bible teachers in April had been there praying this prayer for five or six months by now. Linda in the middle there with two of my best buddies that I made a uh, Kiwi and a American, who I'm still in touch with, either side. Linda, in the middle, was our Bible teacher this particular week, and it came to the Thursday afternoon, and she just opened up the session. She was just going to pray, we're going to worship, we're going to just see what God wants to move among us today. And I had my eyes shut, as I often do in worship. I was singing, and I suddenly sensed a presence. And as I opened my eyes, it wasn't the heavenly host. <laughs> it was Linda. And little did I know, she'd disappeared out of the hall for a while. She'd gone off, she'd gone up to her room, and she came back with this waistcoat, this very waistcoat here, hanging up before you today. I'd seen her wearing it earlier in the week. It it was hers, and she'd worn it one day while teaching us. And she looked at me in the eye, and she handed it to me, and she said these words, which I wrote down very quickly afterwards. God wants you to have this and to wear it as a mantle of the anointing I have, so that the same anointing will be on you to preach the word in what I sense is a pastoral ministry. You are to speak and teach the word with the anointing of God that is on me. Now, my ears and then my eyes, when I wrote it down, went through this filter. Pastoral ministry. Yes, that was my answer. If I'm totally honest, 
I didn't have Will's passion for overseas mission. Well, I was open to it, but I didn't actually really feel that burden. But when I heard that, I thought, that's my yes. I'm to go home, back to Guernsey. I'm to pick up my job, be with my family again, and, and immerse myself in the local church. I just knew that was God's yes. And in hindsight, bearing in mind I'm now married to a Baptist minister, that was definitely a word of God. She absolutely had it right. So I was really pleased with that bit. But I kind of dismissed the rest of it because I had never thought about teaching the Word of God, ever. That was not on my agenda. I, it, was, it was something said to me that was unexpected, and if I'm honest, I was quite disinterested in it. So I kind of looked at the, the thing, but I just honed in on the one thing that I wanted to hear and ignored the fullness of the promise. Why? As I said, I wasn't really interested in the fullness of what God wanted to give me. And it wasn't really my style. I've only worn satin once, and that was on my wedding day. I haven't got a problem with satin if you're wearing satin today, but it just wasn't my style. Metaphorically speaking, I am extremely introverted, as I know I've shared here before. The thought of standing up and teaching God's word just, well, Neil knows how nervous I've been today. It hangs with you. It's not an easy thing to do. So it wasn't something I really wanted. Furthermore, my style was more to be a homemaker. My style was to sit in the pew and just pray with someone after a service. My style was to bury my hands in a sink full of dishes after a church event and just have a heart-to-heart with someone in the kitchen. So the course continued. I saw it fluttering in my wardrobe for a while, took it home with me at the end of our mission trip. I met Neil a few years later. He was then called into Baptist ministry. It was just another yes on that. I sense this will be in a pastoral setting. And then we moved to England. I folded up the waistcoat, buried it in a drawer. In effect, buried the fullness of what God wanted to give me. Yeah, he'd given me that. I was very happy to take part of that promise and that word, but I buried the fullness of what he wanted to give me and that what he wanted me to respond to. The power was present, but I was unwilling to flick on the switch. Let me just explain my title today. Um, that There's a picture of a light switch there on our PowerPoint. When we, in our homes, I think I'm safe to say most people here, we all have electricity. It's in the circuitry around our homes. We can go and tap into it when we want light or heat or whatever else you use electricity for. But you have to flick on the switch. It is there permanently, but we have to go and flick on the switch when we want that light or that heat or that power. We have to go and do something about it, to tap into it. The power of God had symbolically and by his Holy Spirit been given to me to teach his word. But I was unwilling to flick on the switch. I was unwilling to wear the mantle, which Linda had said I should do. I was unwilling to pray about it, to accept it, to say, yes, Lord. I was unwilling to fan into flame the gift of God that was in me by the laying on of a waistcoat, to adapt a phrase there, if you know that verse. Now, I appreciate that's a very specific word for me, but you know, the principle is true for all of us. Paul talks often, I love it, so often about the spiritual blessings 
of our heavenly inheritance that we are beneficiaries of today. Yeah, we'll have the fullness of our salvation when we see Christ face to face. And I can't wait for that day. But we have these spiritual blessings of an incredible divine inheritance to impact our lives today. Now, when you read about these things in Ephesians, you might think, yeah, well, Paul was very super spiritual and, you know, that was for him. But Paul was no fragile, sort of hidden away medieval monk. Paul knew shipwreck. He knew beatings and whippings and stonings. He was in prison. Paul lived with a long-term problem, possibly a health issue. He called it his thorn. Paul knew wealth and he knew poverty. He learned to be content in all these circumstances. So when Paul talks about us being open to these spiritual blessings of God, we're hearing it from a man who really knew what life was about. And I just wanted today, if some of us are feeling a bit shipwrecked, beaten, whipped, you're struggling with that long-term problem, health issue maybe, maybe you feel trapped and imprisoned. He might have had it physically, but we have it emotionally and physically and spiritually in all sorts of ways. We can relate to those words, perhaps. So when we talk about spiritual blessings and heavenly riches, this isn't some kind of surreal, ethereal thing that we talk about at church. It is a very real thing to be open to and to respond to. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life to the full, spiritual life to impact your life in this world. In John 15, he said, if you remain in me, if you remain in Christ, which is what Paul loved to talk about, if you remain in me and let my words remain in you, if you wear that mantle of Christ, if you're open to my power, you will bear much fruit. Not just fruit, much fruit. He's chosen each one of us to be highly productive and influential for his kingdom in many different ways. Paul talks about the spiritual gifts, the manifestation of God's power in each one of us, just as God chooses. Not as we choose, as I was to find out. Just as God chooses. And in Ephesians 3, as we heard about at the carol service so wonderfully, if we would live in and be rooted in God's amazing love, we will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, if that doesn't wow you on New Year's Sunday, I don't know what will. That is an awesome promise in Ephesians 3, to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, whatever that might look like in each of our lives. The thing is, though, we're human, aren't we? We're not divine. We're sinners, not saints. And we can, and I can, get easily distracted from this truth, from the fullness of spiritual life that is on offer to us. Maybe we just get overwhelmed by life itself. You know, how am I going to meet the rent at the end of the, of the month? The, the demands of raising children or, indeed, caring for elderly parents, of dealing and facing with broken dreams or unfulfilled dreams, of that crazy schedule that we're trying to keep. This can all sound a little bit surreal and not relevant to our day-to-day. 
it, we can maybe get a bit skeptical. Or you know what? We're just plain disinterested. I'm saved. I, I do this at church, but you know, I, is there really more that God wants for me? If you're asking that, then yes, yes, there is. But I'm being honest with you because I know I get into those places of feeling overwhelmed by this life sometimes. And Pete Gregg, too, who writes a lot about prayer, he said, there are times in all of our ordinary lives when Jesus honestly isn't the most exciting, enthralling reality, firing our hearts with desire. He can easily be filed away neatly in the boring but important category of life, alongside Leviticus, algebra, and flossing. So, you know, God doesn't condemn us if, if we're just in that place today of feeling a bit cynical or disinterested or just overwhelmed by this life to be engaging with spiritual blessings. But he does talk to us about it in his word. Eleven years after my reluctance to be open to the fullness of what God had for me, I was really challenged by the following story. Excuse me. Now, Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Joash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Now, Elisha, of course, succeeded the prophet Elijah. He'd been in ministry more than 60 years by now. And uh, Joash, the king, to be honest, he wasn't the most godly of kings. If you read the chapter, he was actually did evil in the sight of the Lord, etc., etc. He wasn't the most committed of guys. And yet he recognized in Elisha something. He recognized in Elisha the power of God that he needed to have victory as king, as commander of Israel's army. He saw in him the power of the chariots and horsemen of Israel. He relied on Elisha. So when he saw Elisha so ill and the Aramean army out there on the east, he's thinking, that's why he wept. It wasn't a personal relationship or grief for Elisha. It was, what am I going to do? The power of God is going to leave me. But Elisha sought to reassure him. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window. Now, the east window would have looked out, not necessarily immediately, but right out there on the horizon at the Transjordan where the Arameans were in control, this vast army of Aram. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. You know, my eldest grandson was given a marvelous bow and arrow for Christmas. It is just stunning, and I wish I had it now. And I think, Neil, I would just be proclaiming my hostilities into the sound desk over there, because that was symbolic. If an army shot an arrow out into an enemy camp, he was proclaiming hostilities. We're going to war. And that's what Elisha was saying. I put my hands on yours. I'm giving you God's blessing now. Shoot, proclaim war. Go and fight the Arameans. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. He was given the Lord's blessing and promise that as the king would depend on God, he would have victory over that vast army. Then, Elisha said, take the arrows, and the king took them. 
The arrows, in other words, from his quiver, I looked that up, it'd be around about 15 to 20 probably in the king's quiver. Take those 15 to 20 arrows. And the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. Now we can get confused by that word. It wasn't hit the ground with him. It was, instead of doing this long arching proclaiming of hostilities shot, it was a bam, bam, bam into the ground. You can get the picture, picture Robin Hood, you know, quick fire, very skilled, get your arrows out there thingy, quiver, and just shoot, shoot, shoot. Elisha was explaining the symbolism of the arrows here. Strike the ground, inviting Joash to, to take as many opportunities, as many battles as it would take for the small Israelite army to go and conquer that vast army. And if he took every opportunity, every arrow that he had, he would be promised that full victory against them. Sadly, however, Joash struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground at least five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will only defeat it three times. It was very clear, this whole symbolism of the arrows the number of battles that Joash needed to fight, but with the promise of victory if he went out. But he stopped short at three. He showed a limited enthusiasm that was insufficient for the task. He demonstrated a lack of passion for the fullness of the promise, just as I did with a waistcoat. In short, he failed to take advantage of the immense opportunity God was giving him and the small Israelite army. The power for victory was present, but he couldn't be bothered to flick on the switch. No wonder Elisha was so frustrated with him. And I asked the question why. I had to ask the question of myself. Why was I so disinterested and reluctant to claim the fullness of the promise that God had given me? And I've I've mentioned some reasons. What about Jerash and the victory? Maybe he did want the full victory, but he didn't want all that effort of one battle after another battle after another to see that promise fulfilled. Maybe he just couldn't stand the longevity of long hostilities and be away from his family for so long. Maybe he resented giving of his own personal resources, which would have been the case in those days, to feed and to fund the army. Maybe he could believe in the promise for Elisha, but not for himself. Maybe he just couldn't take that on personally. Or maybe, bearing in mind his history, he just didn't have a passion to be used as God's instrument. You know, we don't know the reasons for sure. But I know for me, personally, this story challenged me. Why was I hesitant to be open to encounter the fullness of the spiritual blessings of God, the anointing that had been promised to me? And that's why I'm just raising the questions today for each of us, myself included, to continue to consider. Are there any signs of moderate enthusiasm for our faith, for Jesus? Is there any disinterest in some of the promises that he's holding out to you? If 
as you sit there, you think, yeah, maybe this area of my life is a sign that I'm not really wanting to flick on the switch. I'm, I'm quite happy with a predictable Christianity. I'm not sure what will happen if I flick on that switch. If, if that's you, that's okay. God just wants to speak into that and encourage you this morning. When Linda described this waistcoat as a mantle, a mantle is something you have to take on, you have to put on, you have to live in. I had to be intentional about, as I say, fanning into flame what God had given me, about stepping out when it felt uncomfortable, about just being open to him and making him my first, about increasing my devotion to him. Not just receive it passively, but something I need to work with God on to receive the fullness of his promise. And that applies for all of us and all that God wants to give us of his spirit, of his power this year. So if you sense there is anything holding you back, the writer to Hebrews gives us some great guidelines to take home with us. First, let us throw off everything that hinders Let us throw off, be intentional about saying no to the fears, perhaps, that hold us back from being open to God. Fears that if we pursue more of God, we're going to miss out on this in, in my life, in the world. Let's say no to any doubts that we have, that this promise is for me. And, you know, part of that might be talking to someone, talking it through with someone. I've had doubts over my time, and actually talking it through with a trusted Christian friend can be really helpful for God to speak into that. Maybe speak to Jamie or someone on your pastoral team. Let's say no to being unwilling if something just isn't our style. Being responsive to God. Let's say no to negativity and criticism. Let us throw off these things that might just hold us back from that fullness of the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. And let's throw off anything, the stuff of life that steals our time, our attention, our resources, our energy away from the priorities of God onto perhaps more meaningless pursuits that we chase after in the world. And the reason I've mentioned these points is because they've all first been challenged in my own life. I'm not pointing the finger. God has challenged me on all of these, and I know he will continue to do so. Maybe, Maybe there are other signs that you see I've not mentioned I don't know. Just things you know you need to throw off in order to be more open to all that God has for you. And the sin that so easily entangles. I love words, and I think entangle is a great word. You can imagine the sin in our life. God is in us. Sin doesn't make him disappear. He's in us by his spirit. He promises to remain with us. But sin entangles that free flow of God's power through our life. It constrains it. It restricts it. It holds it back somehow. Jesus said in John 14, If you obey my commands, my Father and I will come to you. We will make our home in you. When we we first say, Jesus is Lord, please just come into my life, and the Holy Spirit comes, he's there. He's present forever. But Jesus doesn't want to just be put in the drawing room or in an understairs cupboard. Jesus wants to make his home in our lives. He wants to be free to do as he likes. He wants to come and go as he pleases. He wants to choose how to use our lives to be at home. And as we seek to obey him, as we throw off that sin, we we enable that 
ever-increasing measure. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. In other words, and I know I've quoted this before, let us live in such a way that if God is not who he says he is, we'll fall flat on our face. Let's shoot those arrows at the enemy time and again for as many times as it takes to win that friend, that family member, our community for God. Let's take responsibility for fanning into flame the anointing that is upon us for whatever role God has chosen you to serve here in the body of his church. And let's yield to God's heart within us. Yield to the Christ life. Yield to the Christ compassion for the unsaved and the needy. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Let's make the main thing our main thing. If you were here almost, well, just over a year ago now, I did the preach at the end of 2018, and my verse, core verse was Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. Now, unpack that a bit, and in short, you might, it could be read as this. One thing I ask of you, Lord, this only do I seek that I may be present to your presence every moment of my day. And as I was preaching last year, I explained it was because that was David's priority, to encounter God every moment of his day. It was because of that that he became that anointed harpist, that he became that strategic warrior, that he became the most influential king. Likewise, if we want to experience a greater measure of God's presence working in and through us, it is to be intentional and passionate about making his presence our one thing, our first prayer request every day of our lives. Lord, I just want more of you because you are the answer to all these other things that I want to pray about. In you, I will find the wisdom and the comfort I need and the direction in how to pray for these other things. If we study the life of any influential Christian teacher or writer or politician or cultural reformer or some of the old saints of old, you find that everything they did flew out of this passion to encounter God's presence. It's how revival breaks out. People just wanted more of God. Consider him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, I'm conscious there still might be some folk here this morning who are still feeling disinterested in flicking on the switch to a greater measure of God's power. Consider him. Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? Please, if that's you, if you're still disinterested, forget everything everything I've said yet this morning. And just remember this. Just hold on to this. Consider him, please. It's an invitation. Maybe you're not yet a disciple of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you are, but you recognize a a reticence for more of him. Consider him for as long as it takes to ponder the question, who do you say I am? When Peter was asked this question, he said, you are the Messiah. 
the son of the living God. I have to answer this quite regularly because I do get overwhelmed by worries, by ridiculous schedules, by busyness, by all sorts of things. And for me, I have to take myself back into the garden on the resurrection morning. And I see Mary there and I see myself with Mary. And I look and in my spiritual mind's eye, I see the risen Lord Jesus. That's all I need. My Lord and my God. And when I remind myself that Jesus Christ is alive, he is my resurrected Lord, all of that stuff gets put back into perspective. I just want you, Lord. I want what your life is. I want what you want for me. I had to do this only on, when did we travel back? The 2nd of January. We had a bit of a busy Christmas New Year period, travelling up north, travelling down south, over to Guernsey and back. And I woke up on the second, I was feeling very unsettled. I'd met lots of family members, aging parents, uncles and hospitals, living in a home where some pretty awful things happened years ago. It was a very surreal time this last week. And the 2nd of January, I was feeling very, very unsettled. And I, I suddenly thought of this preach. I thought, here we go. Lord, my Lord and my God. And as I was just still and encountered Jesus afresh, it puts everything back in perspective and opens your heart to him and whatever that fullness of his life is he wants to give you in that moment. The power is present, but do we want to flick on the switch? If I ask Steve King to, I don't know if we have a big lever here or a button where we just cut the power completely to this building, the lights would go out, the heat would go off, and we'd be all right for a little while. We'd be able to see each other. But by four or five o'clock tonight, we wouldn't see each other quite so well. We wouldn't be able to read. In fact, by 10 o'clock, we'd be bumping into each other and hurting each other. And I don't know what without the power. The heat would go, that comfort. It's nice to feel warm, isn't it? I'm a bit of a cold bod. I feel the cold. You start to feel a bit grumpy and irritable. You know, you lack that sense of ease without heat. The microphone would go off. You wouldn't be able to hear so well. God's voice, maybe, would become fainter. Phil here on his guitar would start sounding a bit twangy and thin without the power to his instrument. The singers would be a bit ethereal in the back there. It would all be self-effort trying to get us to hear without the power giving that, that impetus. The drums would come in and we wouldn't hear anything, perhaps, as they beat over the rest of the noise. And isn't life feeling like that sometimes when we just lose focus? The noise of life, the imbalance without the power of God. The power of God gives us a balance between this physical, material life and the spirit life of God within. But we need to be open to the power. We'd still be church without the power coming into this building, but we would definitely lack the vitality and the vibrancy of the power of electricity. So, what if? What if we decided to say yes to flicking on the switch, in my case, to putting on the mantle?
What might that look like for you? I had to choose to put on this waistcoat. In effect, I don't wear it every time I preach, as you've noticed, but I had to choose to put on the mantle to say, yes, Lord, okay, I'll be open to how you want to empower me with spiritual blessings to preach the word of God. I don't know what that means for you, but I just want to cast an image of what it will mean for all of us, the commonplace things, as we say yes to flicking on the switch. We will know a peace that infuses and impacts our life. And and yes, I mean that comforting peace. But I also mean a resilience to the life of this world that enables us to face situations with a calmness that I'm in God and God is in me and it's okay. We will be given wisdom. Paul promises wisdom. Yes, for those tricky decisions that we have to make when we ask for it and believe God will give us wisdom. But you know what? I've been asking that recently for my diary. Lord, give me wisdom. Because I know Pace of Grace last, last week, fantastic talk there by our other guest speaker. I need wisdom to know how to manage my schedule, to stay in step with the way of God. And as I'm open to him, I just can testify how that wisdom comes. Contentment grows, as Paul said. I've learned to be content in every circumstance. A contentment that diffuses the drive for more of this world and actually just gives you a hunger for more of God. We find an assurance as God's spirit is encountered more within. Assurance that, you know, my life is valuable and treasured, not because of what I do or what I've achieved, but because I am God's child. The spirit of God, as we are more open to it, shapes and transforms us increasingly, changing our attitudes, our words, and our behavior, that we become truly the light and the truth and the breath of God in our communities and our workplaces and families and even here amongst each other in the church. As we say yes to God, it invites, it, it impassions us with his heart for the refugee, for the needy, for the oppressed. His heart wells up within us so that we serve and we give without counting the cost. As we're open to God in this way, our worship, our life just becomes an act of worship. It's great to sing songs, but our whole life becomes a tent of worship. And so we are witnessing, not just by what we say, but by who we are and what we do, because we are conveying that Jesus is my norm. Jesus is my reality. And people begin to question that. And if there's a finally, as we say yes to God, it invites an increased empowering and an anointing upon us to fulfill the roles he has for us here and to be his ambassadors out in the world. That was my what if. (laughs) The power is present, but will we flick on the switch? Amen.